Vampires bite and werewolves will howl. Witches and monsters are out on the prowl. The night of All Hallows' Eve is finally here, reminding us of all of those beasties we fear. The burnt umber fall skies turn into night, so creatures most foul can deliver us fright. No blankets or covers will keep them away. This is the one night a year when they come out to play. Ghosts and goblins and creatures so frightening run amuck on this night till the sky begins lightning. But as of now, the night's just beginning. As the veils of the living and dead start their thinning, Sit back, my friends, we've tales to share of ghosts and of witches and things that will scare. For tonight is the night for all things quite gory. Stay tuned for true tales from our good friend Neil's story. Now that is a promise, and what could be greater? So get ready, it's time for the Paranormal 60 with Dave Schrader. I'm not going to stand here and listen to this baloney. He won't know. He doesn't stand for baloney. my little darklings happy halloween it's finally here and i know everybody's been waiting for it and sadly this can only mean one thing it's another 365 days until the next one but we don't carry halloween just in one day we carry it in who we are and in our hearts and that's what the paranormal 60 is all about taking that little bit of spooky with you wherever you go and tonight we've got a great show for you lined up it's been a while since he's visited with me but I knew that I wanted to spend this important night with a good friend and an amazing storyteller. He was our host when we went to England to take me and our group around to see some of the most haunted and historic sites. He sat at the front of the bus, keeping watch over the flock. And like a perfect little machine, I could simply call out, ghost story, and he would begin and tell us a story of strangeness, of witches and ghosts and vampire legends and lore. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's wait no more. It's time for Neil's story. Hi, Neil. Hello, Dave. What a wonderful welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you back here and uh, sharing this moment in Halloween night. I couldn't think of a better way for us to reunite, my friend. It's been a while. It certainly has. So I, I, I raise a glass of something not too noxious to all of you. And happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. A quick little Swifty from Neil's story. We've got a lot to discuss tonight as we discuss Halloween. We discuss scary. And, 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 and I asked Neil to bring me the darkest, weirdest, creepiest tales that he had to share. But I, I'm curious, why do you think it's so important to people? to celebrate this night. Grown-ups and children alike seem drawn to this special day, this Halloween season and, and the stories that come with it. Why do you think that's so important as a folklorist and historian? I think as the nights draw in, it's a night when you must make a point to bring people together. Uh, in America, you will have Thanksgiving, 
and, and other festivals where families will join in. Well, in Great Britain, it's always been Halloween night to gather around members of the family of all ages and tell ghost stories. If you do it on no other night of the year, tonight is the night. Right. I love this coming together. But you, the British, you guys have a pretty interesting uh, um, pastime of not just celebrating the scary on Halloween, but you've got you've got creepy stories you share on Christmas Eve as well. That's always been kind of a, a tradition. It certainly has. And if you think right back to Dickens, the great Victorian author, he wrote a story especially for those nights a, a christmas carol and you know it's got ghosts it's got a moral lesson to it and that storytelling tradition of stories with a message stories with a warning stories to chill now that just that doesn't just go back to the victorians it will go back hundreds of years centuries into the dark mists of time well, I want to chat about some real life ghost stories, but to begin, I'm going to share one of the freakiest moments. And it's been a while since I've talked about this. And, and I want to hear one of your experiences um, with the paranormal. But I was, uh, this was a number of years ago, probably going back 14 years. And uh, a friend of mine who lived in Washington, she lived at home to help with her, her parents and she was raising her son. She would tell me about this haunted house that she lived in. And you know, as well as I do, Neil, we hear those stories all the time and some you have to take with a grain of salt and some a little bit more uh, depth. And I could never really tell if Stacy was just pulling my leg for fun or, or what. And she contacted me one night and she said, is there any chance you could keep me company tonight? Just video chat. I'm, I'm home. It's only me and my son. He's in bed. I'm hearing weird things. And I'm like, sure. So I haven't talked to her in a while. we pull up the, the deal. I get my video chat going very similar to this. Um, and back in the day with this, you know, you're the, the person you're speaking to took up the main part of the screen while you became this little postage stamp up in the corner. And uh, that's important to note because it'll come in later with what unfolds. So Stacy is talking to me a little bit about some of the creepy stuff she's hearing in her house. She's heard her uh, name called a few times, but not by a recognizable voice. She has been hearing footsteps as she was in the house alone. Her son, the only other person there, sound asleep in the bedroom. And we're chit-chatting, and at one point she kind of does the hold on a second, puts her finger up and pauses, and her eyes start darting around, and I can hear footsteps in the room. And she looks at the camera and she's like, are you hearing this? And I nodded and then they just stop. So we go back to talking and again, nothing terrifying. It wasn't shrieks or flaming bloody heads hanging in the sky. So we, we kept talking at one point, she goes, I have to go get a drink of water. And she got up and walked away. And as she did that, a few seconds later, I could see her, her computer started to shake a little bit like somebody was walking towards it and I see pass in front of the camera lens it looks like a child's head passes by I could see the hair everything passes by and walks away and uh, she comes back over and sits down and I go oh I saw your son what's he doing up at this time and I she got this perplexed look and she goes what do you mean and I said while you were getting water a, a kid just walked right past the camera I saw saw his head and he was short stature he was and she just, she goes, are you screwing with me right now? And I said, no, I'm telling you, I just saw the back of this kid's head as he walked past the camera. 
She goes, my son's asleep. And she points over her shoulder. That's his room behind me. There's no way he would be coming from this direction. And he would have had to walk past me as I was getting water. And I'm like, okay. Again, not too sure. Do I believe this? Is this woman just long play weird moment or not? We continue to talk. I'm trying to keep her mind off of creepy crawlies and scary things. And we're chatting. And after a little bit, all of a sudden, I see what appears to be an older woman walk in behind her. And it looks like she's just come into the room and she stops and looks at the computer and almost kind of like bends to look at the computer screen from a distance. Like, who is she talking to? And it appears she turns and sets something down and then walks over and sits in the chair next to my friend. Now she's working on something as we're talking back and forth and she's telling me a story and it's getting long winded and we're like one, one thirty in the morning where I live, it's only 1130 for her, but I'm like, well, Hey, Stace, I love you. I'm, I'm sure everything's going to be fine now. And now that your mom and dad are back home, I'm going to get going and go to bed. And she stops and looks up and she goes, what do you mean now that my mom and dad are back home? And I said, well, now that they're back, you're, you're not alone. I'm going to go to bed. And she goes, they haven't gotten home. And I go, Stacy, look at your screen. And she looks up at her screen and her face goes white. And she reaches over. She has a little lamp on her desk. She grabs the lamp and swings it towards the chair. And you could clearly see there's no one there. Oh, no. But without it, with just that kind of dim gray lighting, with just that one little light in front of her, it was this washed out old woman. And I thought it was her mother. She saw this thing when I told her to look at the screen and it freaked her out. Needless to say, we spent about another hour on the phone, uh, <laughs> on the stock. And I, I reached out, I'm like, I got to get my friends in on this. And I called up Patrick Burns and Chris Fleming, and I'm trying to get them to log online and become part of this chat because we're watching a live ghost hunt happen. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I kept her company for the rest of the night until her parents did finally get home. But I'll tell you what, uh, if you were ever a non-believer, a moment like that will certainly shake you to your core and bring you to the moment of there's something out there, Neil. This is real. Yeah. Now, talk to me about your experiences with the paranormal. Have you ever had or seen a ghostly experience? I guess I've been investigating the paranormal since 1988. I think that was my first ever investigation. And over those years since, I used to say I've never seen a ghost. Well, I, I'm afraid I have. I, I, mm. I, I have seen, and I've seen many things that I simply cannot explain. But that very first investigation was the one where it proved to me that there was something beyond, that the paranormal did exist. And I guess that's what the legacy of that is. I don't often tell this story. I was a student and there was a group of us that really loved gothic horror and we loved ghost stories and legends and we'd go to historic places and just kind of soak up the atmosphere. I've always been a very natural ghost hunter, really. Uh, not In those days, there wasn't the electronics. If you were going to use a video camera, it was something that came in a huge uh, box. It's heavy. It's got long lens in it, and, and you had to put a brick in the side of it and push the side with a clunk, you know, that sort of thing. If you want to get any sort of movement, you use an oscilloscope, which you borrow from the science lab. 
if you wanted to record good old dictaphone or the Sanyo cassette recorder where you use two fingers and a button to press two buttons to go down for play and record. But that's what we had. And we had the guidance of, a, there was there were ghost books, the, the Usborne Book of Ghosts that youngsters loved. Uh, it had some of the methods that were used by Harry Price. He was a, I, I, I guess Harry wanted to convince people that ghosts really did exist. So maybe some of his investigations don't stand up quite as they they would do to modern, you, you know, time has mm -hmm. not always been kind to Harry, but I think he believed. And I think right. he wanted others to believe. But he certainly uncovered some weird stuff. So we, we'd use controls like putting a string across a door. Um, so if anybody walked through it, it would break the string, uh, dusting the floor with talc. But one day I was in the library and one of the girls from the hairdressing department in the college where we were came over and she was a beautiful girl. I thought, oh, hello. <laughs> she said, you're part of that ghost club, aren't you? I said, yeah. And I thought, where's this going? She said, our house is haunted. I said, and I thought, is she pulling my leg? Anyway, it turns out that her and her friend in the house that they, they rented as students together, just an, a, a Victorian terraced house, standard long rows them, of them in, in the town of Great Yarmouth, where we were at college. And they would have had one time a, a parlour and a dining room, but they kind of knocked through in a lot of these student residents and they'd put in more modern doors and things. But the problem they were having was that when they were sitting in the front room area, watching TV, they would have a figure pass behind them. You'd just see it at the corner of their eye. It was, mm -hmm. it was black. It was a black shape. And then one night, one of the girls that often used to sleep downstairs, she had a pet cat and weren't allowed upstairs and stuff. So she stepped downstairs with the cat. Sometimes she'd have her boyfriend to stay. And one of the nights, cat and boyfriend in the room, she wakes up with a start and she sees something in front of the curtains. Now, the, there were street lights and a window and curtains. She's looking through and there was an object there that was a, a, a dark shape like a cowled figure wearing a hood like you would imagine a typical monk figure right and she wasn't sure what she was seeing because she's just woken up what is this and it seemed to be darker than dark but all of a sudden it, it didn't even melt away it kind of just disappeared it wasn't there anymore so she questioned herself but she was Absolutely, it was terrifying to her what this figure that seemed to be so intent, so real for one moment and then gone the next. So we went to investigate. We set everything up that we had with the old video recorder and the cassettes and we had a, 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 a digital thermometer and we had a mercury thermometer. And the only thing we got all night was in the chime hours between 12 and 3, it was around about 2, everything cut out in the room in that front room where we were investigating there were three of us mm. and it was odd because you could hear that the fridge in the kitchen if you walked through front room dining room fridge the fridge is still buzzing there was a small standby light in the in the far room that one hadn't got it was just in the front room 
and everything had cut out and the thermometer that had cut out but the mercury had dipped and it was a serious dip it was right down and then it grabbed, you could literally see it coming back up again so it was strange but there was no weird atmosphere until come the morning packed up our stuff thanks so much girls you know it'd be quite a nice night you know it's, and it's always good to ghost hunt in a quiet environment with friends a little bit of chat you know a little bit of, but uh you know heart to heart chats and stuff you know and as we left the two girls that lived in the house they came out there's three of us and we shut the front door which was on a yale lock so you had to shut it with a bang so bang we shut it and then thump inside now, without thinking twice about it, we went in. My friend, he went upstairs. Other friends stayed with all the equipment. I'm in the downstairs room. And I'm looking around. There's nothing. There's a, there's a, uh, a they did dressmaking as well and fashion design. We thought maybe that had fallen over. No, not fallen over. So we looked around. But the atmosphere in that downstairs, it, it was... If you've ever, everybody's had an argument in our time. And if you walk in a room and you've got to go and say sorry or, you know, try and patch things up, there's an atmosphere. And there was an atmosphere just like that. But that row was still going on. It was full pelt. I didn't want to be in there for long. So I, I, I thought, well, there's nothing gone wrong. I'll, and crazily, I looked at the fibre door. It's not a solid wood door. It's fibre with hardboard either side. They often put in cheap conversions on houses right. and it's flat against the wall and i thought i'll just look behind there now remember this is a room we'd all been in as i pulled the door the door to just look behind it i don't know what i was looking for i just felt i had to stuck into that door fully in if you know how big dressmaking shears are Mm -hmm. There's a pair of dressmaking shares stuck in the door at head height. Mm -mm, and in that mm -mm. moment, that moment, I knew the paranormal exists. And in that moment, it, 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 nobody had messed around. There were no tricks. And those girls wouldn't go back in the house anymore. That was it. But the twist in the tale comes when I was working at the local museum. They did an exhibition about the monastic buildings that had been in the town. And there'd been a number of monasteries. And what we did was, before all the days of the technology with photocopies and a little bit of graphics, we overlaid the old map, which showed the outlines of the monasteries, on a modern map of the town. Mm -hmm. And that must have been two, three years down the line. And I just thought, that house where we went and investigated and it's slap bang in the monastic graveyard. It's built on wow. the top of it. I've never, and that, and even now the back of my hair prickles <laughs> up a little <laughs> bit. It was one of those moments. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. I'm reminded I had a, a couple of friends of mine that reached out uh, to share a Halloween story with me. Uh, and, and again, this one comes to us, uh, two sisters, Sherry and Cheryl, and they loved Halloween growing up. 
celebrated it with their family though they were the family that always went full out and had the whole yard decorated the whole family would dress up as costumes to hand out candy to the kids and hide in the yard and scare people and they just had the greatest time and the two of them were talking on the phone reminiscing about these times and as they're chatting occasionally they would hear coming over the phone and she's like did you just yawn? And Cheryl's like, no, I thought that was you. She goes, I was talking. I, I didn't yawn. And then a few minutes later, as they're talking and they're, you know, reminiscing about a, a fun moment, they hear <laughs> come over the phone. And the two girls are absolutely beside themselves. And they're, you know, is this, are, are you joking with me? They're both accusing each other of trying to pull some kind of prank or shenanigans not the case. They just continue to have this conversation, but now they're both getting a little weirded out. And they're like, you know, this, this could happen on our old landline because, you know, you could cross over lines from time to time, but we're on cell phones. So there's no way somebody picked up another line and is, is chatting or trying to scare us. They couldn't make it out. And it wasn't until the end of the conversation and they were getting a little melancholy about their father and the fact that he was gone now for so long that how Halloween just was never the same without him, uh, but that they were all trying to carry on new traditions with their own families. And as they were saying goodbye to one another and said, all right, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, I love you. I love you too. Very clearly they heard their father's voice say, happy Halloween girls over the phone. And they both just stopped and again, questioned each other. Was that you? Did you, that was a horrible joke. Don't play it. And they, both came to realize there was no joke. The little spooky sounds and laughter were coming from their father as he was trying to make his little presence known as they would talk about creepy things on Halloween. And then at the very end, he said, happy Halloween. I just thought that was such a beautiful, but kind of creepy story, right? He got that <laughs> kind of that dichotomy of, oh, it's so sweet, but holy crap, there's a ghost on the phone. It's the ultimate naughty dad prank, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I remember playing as a kid. Uh, I went to a Lutheran grade school. And for confirmation, we got these really spooky glow-in-the-dark crosses that were given to us. And I remember my buddy Rick had come over to the house, and we're playing in our room. And, uh, you know, he's Van Helsing, and I'm Dracula. And, and uh, we turn off the light so he's got the glowing cross so that it would glow in the presence of Dracula. Oh, and as we're playing yeah. this... All of a sudden, we hear very clearly, I'm coming to get you. Oh, and we both just kind of stopped, and I I flipped on the light behind me, and I go, dude, how did you do that? And he goes, I didn't do that. I thought you did that. And then we heard the laughter, and it was just this creepy, exorcisty laugh in my yeah. room with the two of us standing there. And we're both petrified and we've got the, he's got the cross. And I remember him kind of swinging the cross around like, holy crap, there's something in here with us. And then the telltale sign, I heard my mom start to giggle. Uh -huh. My mom and dad in the room next to me, I had a vent that connected my room to their room. They were on the floor <laughs> listening to us play. And then they were making these creepy noises to spook us. So that's, that's Halloween to me. That's the fun, the scares, the safe scares of, uh, I love of Halloween. It. I love let's, it. Uh, let's dip into some folklore and, and ghost stories that uh, you're going to bring to us tonight. Uh, what, what's one of the first on the docket for you? 
First on the docket is one of my favorites. It's very local to me. It's in the county of Norfolk. And it relates to a figure that many people all around the world will have heard of. It's Queen Anne Boleyn, the second qu queen of King Henry VIII of his six wives. And she gave him the most wonderful daughter who grew up to become Queen Elizabeth I. But of course, Henry wanted a son. And he trumped up charges against Anne Boleyn. He, he go with the trees and go for an affair with her brother and a, an accusation of it. And also in reserve. Ah, yes. Yet yeah, let's use witchcraft in reserve of that. She was said to have a, a finger, an extra finger on one of her hands and a third nipple, all the old tribe that they can come out with. That poor girl put on trial and she was sentenced to be decapitated. And she knew the mess that British executioners made of executions because they used an, an axe and the executioner to lob off the head of those with their head on the black on, 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 a, on a block on Tower Green would often get very drunk. And they would take several swipes of the axe to remove the head and often they'd have a knife on their belt to just get through that little grisly bit right at the end, you know? <laughs> yeah. So she said the only courtesy she would ask is that they have a headsman come all the way from Calais. And um, some people don't realise this, but there's, uh, that she didn't put her head on a block to be executed. Anne Boleyn was executed kneeling upright and the headsman from Calais used a long sword with a, with a rounded end on it, a very, very sharp blade. And what he did was he hid it under the straw when she was brought out onto the scaffold. And his assist, and she, as she was blindfolded, his assistant made a noise. So she looked, kneeling upright towards where the sound came from. And from under the straw, he pulled out the sword and with one swoop, her head was gone. He was, she was then buried in an arrow chest in the chapel of St. Peter ad Vincula, St. Peter in Change, within the walls of the Tower of London. But what happened to her spirit? Well, there are many places all around Great Britain that claim that she haunts it. In fact, she's got to be one of the busiest ghosts in all of the land <laughs> on this night. The places that she appears, including the Tower Heaver Castle, and local to us, there is Blickling Hall. Now, the hall that you know today is, is a Jacobean construction, but the old Boleyn family house is nearer to the lake. And it was said on the night of her execution, they heard the thunder of hooves coming across the land. And coming up the driveway, there was a carriage. It was pulled by headless horses. It was driven by a headless horseman who carried his head underneath his arm. And in fact, the legend expanded to say that if he hallooed anybody on his way and gave the slight, if anyone gave the slightest intimation that they heard his halloo, they would too be thrown in the back of the carriage with Anne Boleyn. And Anne was a tragic and gruesome sight, for she sat in the back of that carriage, bathed in a deathly, Moonlight like light, bluish white it was, sitting upright, her neck a raw stump, 
and her head rattling around on her lap. Now you might think that's an old smuggler's tale to stop people interfering with them as they run inland. Maybe it was embellished over the years. But in the 1960s, there was a guy going back from, we, in Great Britain, we have something called Young Farmers. I'm sure you'll have a similar club in your neck of the woods uh, for, for youngsters, like a youth club. And in those days, people could be a little bit naughty and have a bit of a drink and drive. But he wasn't paralytic, and they were very, very country roads that he was traveling near Aylsham. They'd been to a big do there. And he was driving back. And as he was driving back, he, he put ghost stories to the back of your head. He wasn't thinking about that when he was driving past the entrance to the driveway of Blickling Hall, when suddenly a great black mass came up the road towards him. It, it, the natural instinct was for him to swerve. And so his car, I think it was a, a Morris Thousand, went straight into, into a sort of verge. Now, he wonders, is it the sound of the undercarriage of the car scraping along the verge, or was it the thunder of hooves that he mm. heard thundering by his car? Well, he was lucky when they all had gone calm and he's absolutely stunned by what had happened. He was able to just about get the car out and get it back home, but he caused quite a bit of damage to it, and he had to make an insurance claim. And it was only a while later that he noticed the date of the, <laughs> of the accident, and it was in the early hours of the morning on the 19th of May, the anniversary of the execution of Anne Boleyn. Wow. Very cool. Very creepy. I, uh, reminds me of, we're talking about strange encounters on the road. Uh, a friend of mine, Jennifer and her boyfriend, this was going on 20 years ago. We're here in Minnesota. They were going to a Halloween party and they were driving and they came to a T intersection off on a back road on their way to this party. And as they sat there at the stop sign, a car slowly came through the intersection. And as it did, the driver of the car turned to face them. And when he did, there was no face. It was just like a pure skin flap, just no face. And it just drove by slowly staring out the window. And as it went past, they both sat there stunned, almost unable to speak. Finally, Jennifer's boyfriend turned to her and said, did you just see that? And she said, he didn't have a face. And they collected their thoughts and took off, took a right the direction opposite of where this guy was going. They go heading down there. They go to the party. They're both unnerved all night long. At the end of the night, they're coming down and they're coming through. Now they've got no stop sign. The stop sign is on that corner that they stopped on. The main strip was a thoroughfare. They could come right through it. And as they approached that intersection, a car came barreling through and slammed into them, nearly killing both of them in that intersection that exact same intersection that they had encountered the faceless man just earlier that night. Now she doesn't know if he was there as a specter or a wraith, a warning of the dangers that were yet to come, or if it was in fact the spirit that hit them again. And when they were uh, 
airlifted out and taken care of. Uh, they have very little memory of what all took place. The car was totaled. They were bashed up and banged up and bloody, but they did survive. So that's another one of those weird kind of on the road stories. Those when you don't want to be alone out there in the dark in night when when there's that cross section, that crossroads somewhere out there, and and that's your moment that you have to uh, have to deal with the supernatural. Never very comfortable. We're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we've got more stories from Neil's story right here on the Paranormal Sixty. We are back. How would you like to get off the couch and enter the adventure of a lifetime? That's right. You can join me this February for Egypt Obscuro. Traders of the Lost Ark. That's what I like to call it. We're going to be heading over to Egypt for an amazing trip, February 12th through the 23rd. 12 days, 11 magical nights. Tracy Ash will join us. She is an Ascension timeline uh, Egyptologist and a sensitive, amazing woman. And we're going to get access to some of the most unbelievable things you'll ever see. If you'd like to join us, only six spots remain for this trip. Six spots, mysteriousadventurestours.com, or just go to darknessevents.com. That's darknessevents.com and sign up now. Join me for the adventure of a lifetime. We are here. It is Halloween night. And since we're giving you treats this evening, how about you respond in like? How can you do it? Real simple. Wherever you listen to this podcast, or if you're watching this video, I need you to like this video, subscribe to this video, never miss another minute in the best in paranormal discussion. And for those of you that are listening to the audio-only versions, if there is a place to rate and review it on your audio-only tool, please make sure to do that, especially on Apple Podcasts. Let's get a big rush of all of the reviews coming in right now. So if you've never reviewed or you'd like to review again, go on, give me those five stars. It's it's going to cost you nothing to give me five stars and a couple of kind words, but let me know what your favorite parts of the Paranormal 60 are. And make sure that you tell everybody else about it by rating and reviewing your favorite podcasts. That's how they get seen and heard by even more. So go share the best in paranormal programming. Go share the Paranormal 60. Our guest this evening on All Hallows' Eve, Neil's story. Neil is one of my favorite storytellers, authors, reenactors, and one of our all-time favorite hosts on one of our foreign adventures. He uh, led us not to one, but two England adventures, and we will be going back to England, hitting up new locations, new stories. So keep tuned in to darknessevents.com for those as we move forward. You mentioned in the in the previous story about witchcraft and the, the aspersions that would be cast on people, and usually the low-hanging fruit way of trying to rid yourself of an enemy. But as much as we've talked about all of the false claims of witchcraft, your country is known to actually have very powerful, powerful witches. As a matter of fact, so powerful that they were called upon during the war, if I know and understand this right, to help stave off an attack. Can you tell me a little bit about that story and for our listeners that are intrigued with does real magic exist? It's an intriguing thing, and I don't think we'll ever know all of the truth about it because it involves propaganda. Mm-hmm. It's the same sort of, there was actually quite a department set up <laughs> as part of the British Secret Service 
and it, it got a bit out of control, really, uh, because I think charlatans got involved as well as there being some very gifted people amongst it. Uh, I think some of the very first, uh, I think it was, is it a scam or isn't it? In the German history of Adolf Hitler, he he didn't believe in any sort of magic. He didn't believe in horoscopes, according to the historians of that time. But this story has come out that he used horoscopes to judge what will be favorable battles to fight or whether he should go for an attack on a certain day or not. And so the story is that they had this British ministry set up, which included uh, those who could scry the horoscope and by deciding what would be the most favorable day, they could kind of predict what Hitler was up to. But there's an argument for that, that maybe the whole thing was a great big scam just to make Hitler look stupid. I think he did a pretty good job of that all on his own, really. But, <laughs> but there are stories that really do. Will we ever get to the bottom of, you see, you, you there's witchcraft, but there's also magic. Mm -hmm. And there's magic from magicians like Jasper Maskelyne and people who had worked in the film and, t and industry uh, and theater. And they did the most incredible tricks with light. And these are called decoy sites, otherwise known as starfish sites and Q or Q sites. They've got these code names. But what the idea was that to stop the enemy bombers bombing our cities using lighting effects, they would create another city outside the real one. So that it would look as if, oh, they've carelessly left lights on. But actually, when they drop the bombs, they're just dropping them on open fields. And they even devised these uh, flame tanks, uh, which were petrol fired, and it would look like the, you know, the billowing flames. And once you get fires going on in any bombing, the bombers would be drawn to that. But it's part of that story where there are tales of those with the magical gift bending the beams, in effect, that were guiding the German bombers to where they should go. I know that there's a great we shouldn't dismiss the power of the paranormal. And I think, you know, maybe there's an old saying, you can't do any harm if you're trying. And curiously, with all of this hope and this focus, it did seem to work. But we mustn't forget that during the Second World War, Helen Duncan was the last woman to be prosecuted in Great Britain under the old Witchcraft Act. And that's a tragic tale that she was supposedly taking advantage of people by putting them in contact with dead relatives. Now, maybe like Harry Price, maybe she did stretch it a little bit to help people. Was it a dreadful deception? I don't know. But why that poor woman was persecuted as she was, I don't know. But, you know, the tales of witches... In this ancient land, we've had witchcraft here since year dot. Mm -hmm. And some of it has a resonance in the modern world. And I'd like to share a little tale that I'm investigating at this very moment. Not in this building, let, but it's an ongoing let me ask investigation. One thing. 
Now, you mentioned this woman who's the last one tried, and she was trying to communicate and help people. But wasn't it the fact that she actually was at a seance, a gallery, doing a reading and started to bring through uh, a sailor that had died from a bombing and that hadn't been released yet? There was no information. There was no way she could know about this. That's why they went after her for witchcraft, because she was actually tapping into the spirits of, of a ship that had just been sunk. And it's giving away official secrets, yeah. And it mm-hmm. was also an accusation. There was a whole heap of accusations that they trawled up for against her. And it, it yeah, was crazy. It was really stre- stretching it. And the persecution of women that, in the name of witchcraft, and those that have practiced magic, it's a it's it's a, a very sad and very dark part of history. Uh, and maybe they did have to try and tell her not to give away things, but. I think there were other ways they could have done that. I really do. But let me tell you this. Please. About curses on the land. In just about every old village in Great Britain, at one time or another, there would have been what they used to call a cunning woman. Now, this is the woman that would bring children into the world and she would lay people out. She'd even do what they used to call sin-eating. Now, sin-eating is when they used to lay a body out in the parlour and they would put a bowl on the chest of that person with salt in it. And it would be left there all night and come the morning, either the cunning woman or a volunteer would be paid to take their bread and dip it in that salt and eat it. And they would take all of the sins away of that person that was laid out. Was it witchcraft or was it country magic? These would be the ladies that would know how to harvest the berries of the land. And sometimes the cures that they could do with the herbs and the the plants that they would find would look quite miraculous to people. But if you wrong somebody, if you put them down and you ostracize a woman because something doesn't go as you'd wish, maybe a, a child is born at birth or something like that, then maybe that woman will return a curse on you because you've ruined her life and made it dreadful. And there's a village. Now, I'm not going to name that because there are people that are living in in this house now. It's in Norfolk. And in this little village, it's not not far from the the town of Holt, a little rural village. And it's said that the woman that inhabited the original cottage on that site was accused of being a witch she was damned and she was found hanging in the garden strangely though inside the house the the hearth was filled with uh, cinders as if something or some creature had come down or failed to escape from the chimney perhaps it was a her cat some people said it was a familiar a huge cat, a witch's familiar that burnt in the hearth as she hanged in the garden. That old cottage was knocked down and they built a few little cottages just there for agricultural labourers. And, you know, in the 19th century, life could be very, very short. Children could die. You know, you, you were lucky to make 10 years old. You're lucky to be born. And a little girl, aged seven years old, died in that house. The family couldn't live in it 
with all the memories of this little girl who had, had died. I think she did, died of tuberculosis, something to do with her chest. And it tragically, there were there were there, there weren't the antibiotics that we have nowadays to help her. So it had taken time for her to die and her family had cared for her. So you can imagine if you believe in stone tape, it will leave something of that on the walls. Or is it an echo of that woman accused of being a witch on that ground? Is it haunted? Is it cursed, as some people said? The new family that came there, they knew nothing of any of this. And they had a little daughter and they gave her a new doll, a little bisque doll, beautiful little doll with blue eyes and real blonde hair. Dressed it was, they didn't have an awful lot of money, so they cut down her nightdress and made it small, put little bits of lace on it. And it's a beautiful little doll. And, and the little girl, though, played with the doll in an odd way. The parents would often say, what, I, who are you talking to? And the little girl would just carry on playing with the doll, and they thought she was talking to the doll. Mm -hmm. The doll never had a name. And it was only when she got, this little girl got to about the age of seven, that the parents said, well, who are you talking to? Why, why do you never give the doll a name? She says it's called Little Girl. Why is it called Little Girl? Well, because when I play with the doll, the little girl plays with me. And somehow there was a... It was People talk about invisible friends, don't they? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That maybe that, they, that's what they put it down to. But all of her life, this lady believed that Little Girl played with the doll and maybe was inside the doll. But she didn't like to say that to people because... She felt that they would be ridiculed. But in later life, she told her family members that she believed the, the little girl is in the doll. And that's why she's always kept it. And she kept it in a small wooden rocking cradle. Now, when she passed away, her family cleared the property. And it's not that not that long ago. And little little girl, little doll was put away in an attic in a box. The couple that inherited it, inherited the doll and all lots of the effects from the house, bought a new home. And that's a, a very similar house, just in another part of the county. And they had a nice neighbour, an elderly couple that had grandchildren that would come along and, and play at weekends. And this couple used to lay in their bed at night. On occasion, and they thought, oh, those kids, aren't they being naughty? They could hear the laughter of what sounded like a little girl next door messing around late at night. And one night she'd been particularly boisterous. And the couple saw the grandparents in the morning getting out of a car. And they said, oh, did you have the grandchildren? You just dropped them back home. They said, no, we've been away for the weekend. There's been nobody in the house. So in the room, what they thought was next door, the next door neighbours adjoining house, there's the laughter of a little girl that wasn't there. Hmm. So they thought, I wonder, 
what could this be? So they find that box in the loft and the dolls there as ever all wrapped up and they just brought the doll out and they were talking to friends and told the story. And they went to bed, leaving the doll on the downstairs table. It's a wooden table, a nice, nice family table. They heard the laughter, except this time they heard the doll in the wooden cradle rocking on their table. Ooh. They went downstairs and they just saw the cradle slowly finish rocking. And that's when they contacted me. They'd come to some of my ghost talks and, and lectures over the years to investigate what is going on with little girl. I took little girl because I don't think it's a nasty spirit. I just took her along to the power meet here in the UK. Mm -hmm. I didn't say anything. I just put her on display on my store of things and interesting stuff. And two ladies that were psychic mediums during the day just put their hand over the doll, over the face, and said, you can feel her breathing. They said, we feel there's the spirit of a little girl in this doll. So we'll see what happens with little wow. girl living with me for a little while. <laughs> well, yeah, keep us uh, keep us alerted to it. Next time I'm out there, I'll have to bring my recorder. We'll do some EVP work, see if we can get little girl to talk with us. It would be lovely. I, I just hope that there will be love and, and respect for her. And I know, Dave, that you're just the man to do that. I'd like you to meet her. But she's a beautiful oh, old that girl. was a little creepy the way you said that i'd like you to meet her that sounds like every vincent price movie just coming to life i don't know that i want to meet her now you know, i don't know she'll I, uh, come and knock him, dave <laughs> i i grew up i grew up in illinois and i had my fair share of strange paranormal things happen and and I believe my house was haunted growing up and as did many of my neighbors uh but one of the stories that really kind of unnerved me was the fact that uh, a buddy of mine used to talk about the fact that in their window well, for those of you that don't know what a window well is, is the house is built, they are recessed, they're kind of windows from the basement, and there's a little kind of well around it so you could get some natural light into the basement and, and do that. Well, uh, this kid would claim that he would see children's faces in the window looking in to the basement and freaked him out all the time. He went and put posters up over the windows, did things to not notice them. The one window, well, his posters would not stay up. Everything kept coming down. He kept complaining to the family. They're telling him that he's maybe overreacting or imagining, dreaming, because we know it's always good to just dismiss claims of the supernatural, especially when it comes from children. What do they know? Although they do seem to be some of the most gifted, right? And uh, as he continued to have these experiences, his mom came down one day to clean up his room and she was calling him down. She's like, what the hell? Why do you have these dirty handprints all over your window? And he said, mom, that's, that's not me. And she's, well, of course it's you. Who else is touching the windows? And she takes out the stuff and starts wiping it and realizes the handprints are on the outside of the window. And they're not at weird angles as if you're reaching down into the window well and putting your hand against it. It's like somebody was standing there putting their hands against the glass, trying to push the window open. 
But the handprints were very small. And when she realized that next to her son's hand, they were three quarters the size, that's when she started to take her son more seriously. Now, here's the kicker. It wasn't until their neighbors started doing some yard work and they were putting in uh, a walkway, uh, some, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember what they call it, like a reflection pool, and they uncovered skeletal remains there of children. And it turns out that this used to be an old churchyard. And when they took down the church and sold the property, they just removed the headstones. And that was the children's section of the graveyard right up against their house. So the neighbor's backyard that butts up against theirs right by the house was a children's graveyard. And this kid saw them all the time. So he said that uh, that he just blacked out the windows. He and his mom put tinfoil over the windows from the inside to keep it from cold from getting in is what they always told us to keep the the heat out and the cold out during the winters and summer months. But it wasn't until many years later that they told me the full story of what took place there. Once I became a paranormalist and they knew that I would listen to their stories. So that to me, that's chilling again, when you incorporate children's spirits into, uh, into the mix, I know we don't have a whole lot of time left together here, Neil, our hour is coming to an end, but what's, uh, what's another one of your favorite chilling stories that we can share on our way out? Can I one share? Or two. No, no, no pressure. One or two good stories. We'll take them. It's a story I'd like to share because it's a story of a ghost hunter down. Mm-hmm. A man that was a very, very dear friend of mine. And I'm sure that his family and his spirit will not mind me telling it. The na- his name was Andrew Selwyn Crome. Someone will remember him as Andrew Solomon, a wonderful writer and a lover of gothic horror. We spent many a night watching hammer horror films with wobbly sets and kensington gore drinking lovely glasses of port wine and stinky cheese together and investigating ghosts in some of the most haunted sites of all of great britain at historical events when he passed he passed before his time he was only in his 50s terrible sad loss and i wanted he always said the deal was he's going to come back and let me know He's all right. And there is, we knew there was another world beyond that. And it was a few months and I thought, Andrew, where are you? I thought he was going to play a trick on me. He was a terrible trickster. I thought he was going, you know, ghosts and spirits often appear in water. I thought, yes, mm-hmm. I shall be going to the visit my toilet one night and there'll be a face when I lift the lid. <laughs> and it will be him <laughs> saying, told you. Trouble is, knowing his luck, he gets stuck in the toilet, and I'll only have the only haunted toilet in the world. I'll get investigators coming down, EVPs, the whole lot on me bog. Dear and you know dear. what they'll call it? They'll call it the Lou Boo. Ooh! Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. The twist in this tale. Remember, he's a joker. Right. Involves a dear friend of both of ours, Patty Negri. Oh, Patty sure. was in the UK. I went, love to Patty, love you, darling. And I'll never forget this because she reached out. We were at a big circle at the uh, a big unexplained festival in the UK. She'd flown all the way over, loved her company. And everybody else had had their turn. And I said, look, please, Patty, ghost hunter Dan. She said, do you have a name? I said, please, where is Andrew? She said, oh, he's just above you. And she said, He's got one thing to say, and I thought, oh, what's this message going to be from the next world? And it was a message she, poor Patty, didn't understand what it was. She said he has 
just something brief to say to you. I said, what is it, Patty? And Patty will confirm this, a whole room of people. She said, what's a wet willy? <laughs> and a wet willy is when you stick your finger in your mouth and shove it in someone's ear when they're being too serious. Right. And that's what Andrew sent to me. And that's one of the most profound, <laughs> beautiful things. <laughs> I miss you, brother. I miss you with all my heart. And that was Andrew in that silly, silly thing that if we were really in the mood of the night, I would get a wet willy of my buddy. <laughs> That's awesome. Very cool. We love this time of year. We love the chance to be scared. We love to get that thrill because when are we more alive than when we're inches from death? Whether it's a scary ride or a horror movie, maybe it's uh, having just survived that terrible car wreck or having heard some bad news, and that gives you a new perspective, a new light. And there is actual research that has found that to have the best first date with someone, take them to a scary movie, take them to an amusement park, because the endorphins that are released during stress also release a sexual pheromone that makes you what? more attracted to one another. Mm, scandalous. So there's, there's many reasons. Yet, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's many different things out there that tie us to these parts of the year and, and moments of being frightened and why we seek them out because we want those moments. And even as children, we have these these exciting moments that we hold on to. One of my favorite memories growing up was, uh, of course, watching The Wizard of Oz every year with my friends, you know, it would always come out right after Thanksgiving and, and uh, we would go watch it on, I think it was CBS here in, in the States and we'd watch it. And my friend and I always talked about witches and there was a woman that lived down the end of his street, Mrs. Brown. She had a Brown house and she had a doorbell that had a half moon and a star on it. And we were certain Mrs. Brown was a witch. She looked like a witch, like a televised witch. She, she just a very odd, interesting woman. And I remember once, that after this, we decided we were going to dispatch the witch. And we went out and filled our water guns because obviously the way to get rid of a witch is squirting her with water. We've seen what happens to Spot the witches. On. So the two of us staked out the neighbors. And when we told the other kids what we were doing, they went home and got their squirt guns. So we started calling out for Mrs. Brown. We know you're a witch. Come out, Mrs. Brown. She would have none of it. That's proof one, right? If she's hiding inside from a bunch of kids with squirt guns, Obviously, she knows what's coming. We couldn't get her to ever truly prove that she was a witch, although there was always a black cat hanging around her property and only her property. She had this dark little house with the drapes always drawn, the star and the moon on her doorbell. It wasn't until many years later when my friend Rick, who had now matured and aged up, was uh, helping elderly neighbors in his city, and she had asked for some help clearing out her garage. And there was a lot of things that had accumulated over the years. So Rick went in and was cleaning out her garage. And then I got this call and he goes, you're not going to believe this. I had to clear out her garage and look what I found. And there were stacks of old brooms, like not like, oh, cedar brooms, not like the old thatched brooms with the stick and the, the brush at the end, the br bristles. And yeah. he goes, Dave, it's crazy. And he took pictures and there were like, 30, 40 of these things. So he took one 
and put it in his trunk, cleared out everything else that uh, she had told him to get rid of and give it about a week or two later, he gets a phone call from Mrs. Brown. Thank you so much for the work that you did here. I need to ask you though, did you take one of my brooms, Rick? Sort of this stack of like 30 brooms, these old beat up dirty brooms. She knew one was missing, even at her advanced age that made his blood run cold. And he, he, I think told her, yeah, I I borrowed one. I was going to, I'm doing an art piece and I really like the look of this. And I was going to, you know, kind of copy it and bring it back to you. And she's like, okay, just make sure you bring it back. Those brooms are very important to me, Rick. So I don't know if she, as an adult, as an elder, was still having fun with the child that's inside all of us, or were we right all along that the witches and ghosts and things that go bump in the night are always a little bit closer than we ever expect. Neil, it's a pleasure to chat with you again tonight to catch up and share these stories and strange tales. And we've got to do it again. Let's let's pull a like a Friday the 13th and we'll come back and do more spooky stories together. Would you do that? I would be honored to do so. Thank you, Dave. We'll give our love to the lovely Fiona and happy Halloween to you and yours, Neil. Love to win and love to all the clan and all my friends and fans in America. God bless you all. Thank you very much. Exciting times, Halloween. Strange things occur. And it appears that you made it through our tales on this night. And we hope we brought you a little fright. So as you head off to sleep, I wish you good dreams of zombies and dogmen and a banshee that screams. And should you awaken this night with a start, your breath feels it stolen in your racing of heart. Close your eyes tight and remind yourself of this fact. At least it's only once a year that these monsters attack. As for me, I'll be back with laughs and some booze with the Paranormal 60 and its trusty news crew. Now go off and sleep like you're set in your grave, and remember who loves you. It's me, Darkness Dave. kids.